with you. Uh, let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. It was one of the fun things last year when I was up in, uh, on the Isle of Lewis and preaching up there. I've kind of gotten used to here when you preach in London, you don't hear pages turning. You know, you, you see people picking up their phones and putting in the details. But up there, you could still hear people turning in their, you know, the, the actual physical book Bible thing. And it was kind of funny, you know, it caught me off guard a little bit anyway. We'll go to uh, 1 Samuel 17 uh, and Ephesians chapter 6, although I won't read that entire passage from Ephesians chapter 6. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephesh Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits, a little bit taller than I am, and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Kind of heavy. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of its spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper 
and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. Oh, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said, make his father's house free. That's like having no, have not to pay taxes for life. You know, that's great. Um, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance." And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, I got a cough. Well, he didn't really say that. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And then let's skip over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll just read a couple of those verses actually. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Now, I just want to remind everybody that even though this, uh, these sermons here in these first few weeks are directed to men, they do apply to both men and women in a certain way, in a certain degree. So, uh, I'm not trying to be exclusivistic here in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and uh, Evie, Jovan's daughter, she's kind of, she was kind of saying last week, hey, wait, you know, girls can do this too. And yes, they can. And, and so just to, just to know. But I think that there's a reality here, and that is that we men are warriors by nature. We men are warriors by nature. I mean, if you're big, big into evolution, I mean, you'd have to agree with that because, you know, we men, we were the hunter-gatherers. We were going out and killing the animals and fighting off the enemies and, and doing all of that. And then after we made all the animals extinct, we started killing each other. You, you know how humanity has kind of risen up. But there is a truth that we are men by nature. There's a bit of a warrior inside of all of us. There's a bit of a warrior that uh, comes out in us. And that doesn't mean 
that you're a violent person. That doesn't mean that you can't be a pacifist. But there's a certain dynamic that is in all of us. And one of our big challenges as men is whether we will engage in our fights or our battles or the warfare of life in a godly, Christ-centered way or in a human-centered, ungodly, sinful, and sometimes, yes, even demonic way. You know, the whole idea of terrorism, that's a demonic expression of that warrior dynamic. What happened in Thailand last night, that's a demonic expression of that warrior dynamic. To say that we're a warrior doesn't say that we should advocate violence or that we want to kill people or destroy people or hit people or anything like that. Uh, but there is this dynamic inside of us and so much of, of life, it kind of, so, so much of the people around us and the institutions around us kind of say, put that down, stuff that, don't let that come out, rather than say, how do we channel that? How do we understand it? How do we live as men with this warrior nature, if you will, that's part of us, that, that's kind of designed in our, our, our male humanity without being sinful, without being violent? In a sense, how do we become warriors as Jesus was a warrior? They say, well, Jesus wasn't a warrior. He was peaceful. He certainly was. But Jesus went about casting out demons. That's an act of warfare against the kingdom of God. Uh, John tells us in, in 1 John that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroying something happens as an act of conflict, as an act of warfare. So how do we understand it? Now, most of our battles today are not battles in terms of physical conflicts or warfare. And you will always have a problem if you forget this. You know, sometimes men hit their wives because they misunderstand this. Or we engage in, in all kinds of violence because we misunderstand this. But they're not about physical conflicts. They're not about battles in that way, warfare in a worldly kind of way. But we as men, I mean, we fight a number of things. We fight temptation. I've been with enough men to tell you that when we are tempted, it takes warfare for us to resist that temptation. There's something that has to rise up inside of us and say, no, I'm not going to do that sin. I'm not going to succumb to that. Uh, we fight addictions in our lives, giving ourselves over to things we shouldn't give ourselves over to. We fight injustice that's in the world around us. When we see people being treated wrong, there's something that rises up inside of us. If we're with Jesus, it says, no, we've got to do something to correct that. Uh, we fight for our families. Our warfare nature comes out as we say, I'm going to protect our families. You know, I've often told people that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty nice, gentle kind of guy, but if you start attacking my wife, you'll see an aspect of me rise up that you don't want to see because I protect my wife. That's part of what I'm supposed to do. That's part of how God has, has designed me. Uh, so we fight for our families. 
We fight against corruption. We fight for righteousness. We fight for the good of others. To see good come into this world is a battle. It doesn't happen easily or normally. Think about something quite as easy as dealing with the climate problem. Certainly, promoting you know, good uh, care for the environment, that should be something we're all on board with, right? Because we see it all around us. But if that's the case, why is it such a battle? Why is it such a struggle? And of course, preeminently, we fight against spiritual forces of evil. Men, we know that there are spiritual forces of evil around us that we do not see, and that is our battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual forces of evil that exist in the spiritual realms around us. Now, it's true that both men and women do engage in these battles, but we men must ensure that we rise up in our calling and destiny in the Lord and act like men in Christ. And again, that doesn't mean we're violent. That doesn't mean we use force or coercion or anything like that. But we must rise up as men in Jesus. Now, how do we do that? I, I think we learn a number of things from this story in David. Now, in, in David's case in this story, uh, Israel and, Philist and the Philistines were in conflict, actual battle conflict with one another. But if you note the way David approaches this, it's not like most people would approach a battle. It's not like force against force. It's not like, okay, Goliath, you know, he's nine feet tall. Let's get a 10 foot tall person and, or at least stand on each other's shoulders so that we're bigger than the guy. You know, there's nothing, there's no kind of dynamic like that. It's not that, well, he's got a big javelin. Well, let's come with a bazooka. You know, you, you don't have those kinds of things going on here in the example of David. And so I think, men, we learn a lot about how to engage in the battles that we face, whether they're in the marketplace, our workplaces, uh, for our families, wherever we are, whatever happens. So let's look through this and learn a little bit about what David was doing and how David was fighting. <coughs> Excuse me. The first thing we learn from David is that we need to let the fight come to us. We don't go looking for a fight. We let the fight come to us. Notice in the first place that the Philistines were coming into Israel's territory, into Judah's territory, uh, and even David wasn't looking for a fight. Notice what happens here. That's verse 17 to 20. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, and these ten loaves, ooh, thank you. Thank you very much. These ten loaves, uh, and go quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. Now notice, David didn't go looking to get involved in the battle. He wasn't seeking a fight. In fact, David was positioned for the battle by simple obedience to his father. 
Jesse said go to do something. And notice here what David was doing was actually kind of derogatory. In the first place, he'd been left to care for the sheep, which was considered apparently by his brothers to be some, some kind of insignificant task. And then he was told to go get a loaf of bread and a chunk of cheese. And that's what he's supposed to do here. So this wasn't glamorous. David wasn't looking for a fight, but he was positioned by his obedience. And we are positioned by our obedience. You don't go tomorrow when you go to work, you don't go looking for a fight with your coworkers. Don't go looking to cause problem anyway. But I guarantee you, you won't need to go looking for the fights. The fights will come to you. This applies in every area of life. You know, I could go around London trying to cast out demons from everybody I see. But that's not what God wants me to do. The only time I'll deal with a demon is if it manifests in front of me. And then by golly, we're going to deal with it. I'm not going to look for a battle, but I know that if I obey God every single day, if I obey God and be honest, be true, be righteous, be faithful, that I will have fights come to me. And I tell you, if a fight comes to me, I'm not going to back down from it. I'm not going to back down from it. I, I'm a bit of a fighter, I have to admit. It's really a funny thing in my life. I absolutely hate conflict. I really hate conflict. But God has put me in position time after time after time, fight after fight, struggle after struggle. And, and I'm really thankful. I've got elders around me like Andrew and like Fadi uh, who, you know, when I come out of a battle, they kind of they come to me and say, okay, down boy, settle down. Back off a little bit. It's okay. Be at peace. I mean, oh, okay, okay. You know, uh, and we need that. We need those guys in our lives. So that's the first thing. Let the fight come to you. Don't go looking for it. In fact, I'll tell you, I think it's sinful to go looking for a fight where there's not one. And it's part of our sinful maleness to do that, not part of our righteous maleness in Christ to do that. The second we see from David is the need to get the right perspective. And to do that, we need to challenge everyone's perspectives, probably including our own many times. Get the right perspective and challenge everyone else's perspectives. Look at uh, Samuel uh, uh, 17:26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We need a perspective that is shaped by reality and truth. All the Israelites, all the, the men of Israel, the fighters of Israel, they were looking at this big tall guy with super muscles, uh, and, you know, big javelin, a huge, uh, a huge uh, uh, shield, and a spear. I mean, really, a, a, a big old spear. Uh, they were looking at this and saying, we're going to die. We are going to die. This enemy is so much bigger than I am that if I go out, even if we all go out, we're going to lose. We're going to be dead. We're going to die. Maybe we should run. Let's run away, let's flee, because we're going to die. 
I mean, that was the attitude that was going on. And even when they knew that they could do a lot of great stuff and get a lot of things from Saul, it's like, well, you know, I'd love to marry his daughter. She's really good looking. But uh, actually, you know, how can you marry her if you're dead? And that's what's going to happen because I'm going to be dead. And so they're all looking at that. And so David here, and David's a little guy. You know, he's not big. He's not tall. Uh, David probably maybe five feet tall, five feet five, something like that. And he's so much smaller than I am. Uh, you know, so David's here and he's saying, who is this? I mean, it's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not seeing a giant. He's seeing who he is from God's perspective and realizing that this thing that seems so big is actually pretty small. Pretty small. And he does this. He challenges perspective, not by looking around saying, you guys are dumb. I mean, he, he, he challenges it by asking questions. And we need to learn how to ask questions that will expose the truth and challenge falsehood. We need to learn how to ask that ourselves. I mean, if you're feeling anxious about something, then you need to say, okay, why am I feeling anxious? Why do I feel this way? Don't I understand who God is? Don't I understand how big God is? Don't I understand that God has a plan and purpose for my life? So we ask questions to challenge the perspectives because I have discovered in my own life and in the life of most men around me that most of the time we start off with the wrong perspective. Most of the time, what we think we are seeing is not what is real. It is an illusion that we've manufactured in our minds. And so we need to get the right perspective. We need to get the right perspective and challenge every other perspective, including our own, until we get there to the right perspective. That's the second thing. Third thing is we must refuse to heed judgment and criticism. Now, I'm not talking about here constructive criticism, uh, but frankly, most criticism today is not constructive. In 30 plus years of ministry, most criticism that I've experienced and other experienced in the church have not been constructive criticism. So I'll just say as a blanket, don't heed judgment and criticism. Look what David, what happens with David. So Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Notice how he's saying, you know, you're neglecting your duties. You're neglecting what you're supposed to do. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. And you have come down to see the battle. You just want to gawk. You want to see heads cut off. You want to see blood flow. You know, that's what you're looking at. And notice David said, like a typical younger brother, what have I done now? You know, it wasn't, I just was talking. And so David turns away from him toward another, spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And then when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and Saul sends for him. 
And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Again, small guy, big guy, okay? And Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight for him. For you are but a youth and have been a man of, and he's been a man of war from his youth. What did David do? He refused to back down in the face of judgment and criticism. He refused to back down. And notice the people who are criticizing him. It is always true. Men, the people who will criticize us, one will be those closest to us in our family. Sometimes it's our spouses if you're married. And sometimes it's a parent or an elder sibling. It would be people who are closest to you or people who are in authority. Most typically, those are the people who are going to criticize us. Those are the people who are going to speak judgment over our lives. And we must refuse to back down because of this judgment and criticism. In fact, men, if we do anything that is worthwhile, we will always experience judgment and criticism because of it. Always. I didn't realize that when I first became a pastor. I thought I'd become a pastor and I'd preach good sermons and the people say, oh man, we just love your sermons. We're really growing in the Lord. It's so great to have you as our pastor. Here, have a raise. Uh, you know, we're going to treat you really nice, really well. And you know, that didn't happen. In fact, the thing I learned, the more we were reaching people, the more effective ministry became, the more people close to us were judging us and criticizing us. And I'm talking about Christians. Well, that's true every area of life. So we must refuse to heed this judgment and criticism. Next thing we learn about the fights, the battles that we face, we need to remember and trust who you are in the Lord as the basis for engaging in the battle. We must remember who we are in Jesus and we must trust who we are in Jesus, not what we think we are, not what we seem to be, but who we are in Jesus Christ. And that is the basis for engaging in the battle. If we engage in the battle in any other way, we'll get it wrong. For example, if you think, if, if you've got a challenge that comes at you at work tomorrow and your attitude is, oh, I can handle that, you'll probably lose because you're not engaging in that challenge on the basis of who you are in Christ and on the basis of who the Lord is, you're engaging in that challenge thinking, hey, I'm great. I can handle this. I can deal with this. And so often, men, when we lose, and we do lose fights, battles in our lives, when we lose battles, it's because we forget who we are in Jesus Christ as the basis for that battle. So we begin with our identity in Christ. And that's why if your identity is not firmly grounded in Jesus Christ, if you don't understand that you're significant, you're secure, and you're accepted, not because of what you do, but because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you will not consistently win the battles that you face in life. It's fundamental for us. It's a key thing. And notice here what happens. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, 
I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to remember your history. You need to remember all that God has done for you. You need to humbly remember all that you've been through. Remember who you are in the Lord, for the Lord has already delivered you if you are a Christian, if you have faith in Him. Remember that. That's the foundation for our battle. And when we remember that, we're more likely to engage in the battles we face in the manner of Jesus and not in a sinful way. The next thing that David did, he turned aside from worldly armor. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet, this verse 38 and 39. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. What did that mean? He's not worked with them. He's not experienced. He doesn't have any experience with this armor. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them aside. He turned aside from them. He turned aside from Saul's armor to what he knew in the Lord. Now, we are always tempted as men to put on worldly armor. What's worldly armor? Feeling like we have to be macho. You know, thinking we have to be tough. We have to let everybody know we're tough. You know, we don't cry. Men don't cry. You know, that, that kind of machoism. Sometimes we can turn to the law and say, oh, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to get after you. Or our pride is another armor that we put on. Saying, oh, I can handle this. I'm really good. You know, I, I, I can take care of myself. Our, our money thinking that we have to be invulnerable, that we can't show any kind of weakness or vulnerability. All of those things and many, many others are forms of worldly armor that men try to put on all the time. Now, we must not use what other people try to put on us. All my life, I've had people say, well, you should do this, and you should do this this way. And sometimes when I was young, I'd try that, but then I began to realize I can't do things the way other people do things. I have to do things the way God has created me to do things. I don't engage in the battles of life in the way that other people do. I have to be true to myself. We don't need someone else's armor. We don't need what somebody else has. Oh, if I was only more like Fadi, then I could, I could win this. We don't need that. We don't choose to do what other people have done. That's why it's untested. We need only the armor of God, the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, 
Jesus' blood has made us righteous. The helmet of salvation that protects our mind in Jesus Christ. The shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. So we take the gospel of peace everywhere we go. Now you might think, well, the gospel of peace sounds a little bit at odds with warfare. It's not because our goal is to bring well-being everywhere we go as men. Our goal is not to bring conflict. Our goal is to bring goodness and well-being, making everything better. That's the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of faith. I let God strengthen our faith. We pick up the sword of the Spirit. So we use the Word of God. All of these things. That's what we need. That's what David was doing here. We choose to be open and vulnerable. Now you might think, that sounds kind of dumb if you're in a battle, to be open and vulnerable. But it's not. Being vulnerable... Genuinely vulnerable is always a sign of strength. Being genuinely vulnerable as a man is always a sign of strength. Now what will happen if you're vulnerable? Sometimes you get hurt. And sometimes it hurts really badly. I get people all the time, when I share my story, when I share what I've been through, people say, wow, you're so open, you're so vulnerable, I just really admire that. I'm like, well, no, to me that's the way I have to be, because I know who I am in the Lord. I'm strong in the Lord, so vulnerability doesn't scare me. I can be that way. So this means that we need to choose to know our strength and we be our authentic self in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be who you are. Don't try to be like somebody else. Then the sixth thing we see from David, David fought, fight with what you know and the resources you have at hand. Don't think you've got to get something else in order to engage. Then David took his staff, verse 40, in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. You don't need fancy gadgets. You don't need a, a computer. You, you don't need something new or some weapon to fight the battles that come to you. You do need to rely on your training and experience in the Lord. You need to rely on what you know. And God will take and use your experience. He will use what he's done in your life to equip you for the challenges that you face. So trust him in that. Trust him in that and let him do that. Number seven, we're getting toward the end. Number seven, run to the battle with faith in God. Don't shy away from it. When it comes to you, you walk into it. When it comes to you, don't try to avoid it. Don't try to run from it. Let me take it from my experience. I did that for years, and it never worked out. It never worked out. So you run to the battle, but with faith in God. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to move with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. He said, Come to me and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the air, uh, birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Notice the intimidation. And guys will always face intimidation from our enemies. Always. Uh, 
David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and the Lord of hosts, the God, uh, come sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, not with worldly armor, not with worldly tactics, not with worldly techniques, but for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now notice what David is doing here. He's not going into the battle thinking, hey, I'm strong, I'm going to deal with this. He goes into the battle, he runs into the battle, but him running into the battle is based on his faith in God, not his faith in himself. It's because he had a right relationship and a right orientation toward God in his life that he's able to run into this battle. We have to remember that the battle is the Lord's. And we must remember that the Lord does not use worldly weapons, tactics, and techniques to win the battle. We don't seek the fight, but we do run to it when it comes before us. And we must always fight in the name of the Lord. This means we fight in God's way for God's glory. You don't fight for yourself. You don't fight for your own glory. If you do, then you're falling into sinfulness. You fight in God's way and for God's glory. And then finally, number eight, we need to finish the fight. When it comes to us, we finish the fight. So David prevailed, verse 50, over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and took the Philistine's sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. We need to be sure that we finish it. When it comes, that we finish it. So often what we do, we get to a place where we feel victory, and then we say, oh, I'm not going to keep going. You know, for example, men, we might be dealing with some ongoing temptation in our lives. And many times what we do we get to a place where we've got comfort and victory over that temptation. Where we say, okay, I think I've mastered it. I think I've really dealt with it. And then we let up. And we go for a long time in a place of victory, but we haven't really killed it off. And so we end up falling again into sin. You gotta make sure that the battle is finished completely, that you've done everything that you need to do. That's true in every area of life, in these conflicts that we face. We cannot make the mistake of accepting partial victories or failing to ensure that that enemy is really dead, the proverbial enemy is really dead. You know, if you ever watch any of the cop shows, what do they do? You know, they, they take down the bad guy who had a gun, and the gun's laying on the ground beside him, what's the first thing they do? They walk up to the bad guy, and they take away the gun. Why? 
because you don't know the bad guy might not be dead and you go on and then the bad guy picks up the gun and shoots you. I mean, it happens. And so that's why you got to make sure that everything is dealt with, that you don't leave the root. You just cut off the weed from the ground, but you leave the root, root in your life. You make sure that you complete it. So in the end, men, we are created by God in a sense as warriors. But we must remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. The people in your workplace, your family members, they're not really your enemies. Even though sometimes people act like our enemies. The real enemy is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we need to understand that our enemies, all of our enemies, have been defeated ultimately in the cross of Christ. They're a defeated foe right now. And we need to embrace the reality that Jesus has saved us as men. And he raises us up beside him. We don't go in front of Jesus. We don't go instead of Jesus. We go out with Jesus to see the nations liberated from their bondage to darkness and brought to life in the kingdom of God. That desire, that call, is something that God has put into each of us as men. That's what he wants us to be. Not violent, not abusive, not destructive, but engaging in the battles of life in a way that reflects the love and glory of Jesus Christ and sees God's will done and God's kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you, we love you, we praise you for all that you do in us. You're such a good God. And Father, I pray that for those that have heard this message and, and those who are listening uh, online, that nobody would mistake this message, that nobody would hear uh, anyone advocating violence or promoting conflict in any way, shape, or form, but that everybody would understand that love, the love of Jesus, takes its stand against all unrighteousness, against all wickedness, against all injustice, against all wrongdoing in this earth, and that we are called as men in the love of Jesus Christ to take our stand to see God's good come into our world, in our families, in our lives, in our workplaces. To see righteousness, justice, and truth rise up. And may we as men in Christ be faithful to do that. Your glory and praise. Amen. Let's stand together.